Welcome to Mission Critical, Sale Leaseback Podcast by Ascension, the world's number one sale leaseback show. We share the latest in sale leaseback advice from the best in the game to keep you at the cutting edge of the hottest emerging practices in corporate real estate. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. We talk to sale leaseback. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Tom Johnson for Ascension. I'm joined today by Ned Hennessy. Ned is a vice president for Ascension. Ned actually specializes in the auto dealer industry. First of all, Ned, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. Glad to be here. Well, we're out here for the Waste Management Open, and we'll talk as to why you're out here and who you're meeting soon. But you know, why don't we kind of jump into your background? I know originally when you got out of college, you started at another national investment firm doing investment sales, doing net lease, doing some sale leasebacks in the auto dealer space but you really kind of fell into being solely an auto dealer specialist and you've really excelled in the last 12 to 18 months. So think about like our audience here and who they are going back to some of the people that I've interviewed, uh, Colin Hart specialized in advising, you know, medical office groups interviewed a woman named Yanni who was in the private equity firm and they were in the tech space. They were in, you know, very operating centric type private equity firm. I interviewed a real estate broker, Tom Edson out of London and you know, what he did was he advised the grocery stores. And, and so what he was interesting about that odd space, you know, it's been in the news a lot. You know, cars are very expensive. Carvana, for better or worse, they've had, you know, some lots of up and downs. So like thinking about the audience here and who we are thinking about advising business owners or work as business owner investments, like what's different or unique about the auto space that maybe, you know, we don't see in the medical field or just in some other types of businesses? So I think, you know, in the auto space and, you know, this may not be so specific to this space, but it's such a focus is that there has to be growth through scale. You know, having one dealership versus having 30 dealerships is, you know, monumental to, you know, the bottom line of these operators. And, you know, in the dealership space, you know, returns are huge. Returns on their capital are 25 to 30%. When you look at, you know, sell leaseback and you look at, you know, dealership real estate, dealers historically have always been taught to own their real estate. So when you perform a dealership buy-sell transaction, when a dealer goes out and they buy another group or they buy a single dealer point, they'll acquire the business on something called Blue Sky, which is basically, it measures goodwill. It's you know an earnings multiple that is called Blue Sky. And you know typically in an acquisition, dealers will go and they'll buy the real estate at an appraised value, you know, land and improvements. So they'll go out, they'll make an acquisition, you know, they'll buy the real estate at appraised value. And what's been so interesting in, in talking with these dealers is, you know, what we can actually do is we can create a simultaneous transaction where dealer goes out and buys a dealer point for, let's say, 20 million. You know, they buy the real estate at X, they buy the blue sky at X. Oftentimes, you know, we're able to perform a sell lease back, resell that real estate, create that liquidity from the real estate while ensuring mission critical control at a number that's even higher than where they bought the you know, appraised value real estate and the business. So in terms of a growth tool and value arbitrage, it's very simple. You know, It's financial engineering that comes in and when you can put capital at a 3X multiple you know, from where you bought it and then put it into you know, a, a machine, essentially, the operational business that generates 25 to 30% and continue to do that over and over and over again through acquisition and you know, repetitive sale leaseback, you're looking at you know, dealers that have you know four or five locations that can, quite frankly, grow to 50 locations plus and monumentally increase their profitability and their capital uses in that way. No, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the challenges then that are facing, you know, specifically the dealer space right now, where that sale leaseback, that infusion of capital is really helpful? And I guess maybe in many cases, like almost necessary, what are the hurdles or obstacles in front of the dealers right now? So the dealership space, I would summarize, is an acquire or be acquired uh, state of the market. 
you either need to grow and scale or you're going to get eaten up by the competitors because there's a huge consolidation happening in the dealership space where, you know, little players are just getting eaten up by these bigger players because they cannot sustain or it just makes sense to get out because they're just not going to be able to compete. So then you have, you know, pressures from the manufacturer. There's threats of a direct consumer model or an agency model that's been adopted in Australia and parts of Europe where, you know, the dealer is no longer franchise part of the business. It's, you know, you get allocations from the dealer, you sell them at X price, it's fixed, the margins are not as variable, and therefore it's sort of monopolized by the manufacturer. And, you know, personally, my opinion is that, you know, as these dealers grow, um, it's going to be a lot harder to push them around and enforce a model like that if you are a bigger player like a Lithia or an AutoNation or a big dealer group, because you're completely in control of the inventory movement uh, from these manufacturers. So I think, you know, by scaling, you put, you know, some body armor around yourself from the manufacturer and you become really a necessary part of the business plan. You also have electric vehicles coming into play, reducing, you know, the bottom line of these dealerships income statements. Electric vehicles don't need as much service and parts. That's about 60% of uh, where the revenue is generated in, in, in the dealership space. And, you know, EVs aren't going to come, you know, overnight, but it's happening. It's definitely happening. It's being adopted. It's being incentivized by, you know, the government. You know, manufacturers have stated they're going to stop making internal combustion cars, which, you know, we'll see if that happens. But, you know, what that will look like in terms of profitability will be, you know, much lesser at a unit level. So to continue to meet that bottom line that you've been achieving, you're going to need to scale. You're going to need to get as big as you possibly can if your margins are going to get crunched. And, you know, the sale leasebacks are really the answer to that. It's the maximum use of your capital to then grow and really put your capital and your equity to work in the most efficient places. So the consumer's cost of capital is going up. That's disincentivizing, you know, a lot of consumers to then go out and buy a car or to, you know, finance really anything in the space because the interest rates are so high. You know, theoretically, the price is going down because the interest rates are going up. But, you know, we're heading into, you know, a little bit more of a recessionary market. Consumer sentiment is lowered than it was, you know, in this sort of make-believe cost capital is essentially free, you know, time that we've left. So, you know, the consumer is, is faced with a higher cost of capital. The dealer is faced with a higher cost of capital, so the margins are much less. Dealers buy inventory on something called a floor plan. It's basically a line of credit from a financing entity. They go out, buy a car, they move that car within a certain amount of days. But you know, while it sits on the lot, the, the car is costing money, it's costing interest, and then has to be paid back. So, you know, the longer a car sits at a higher interest rate, the more money the dealer is just eating, you know. So it incentivizes the dealer to just sell the car at cost, bring in some more inventory to try to move and profit. And then you have the aspect of, you know, dealerships make a lot of money either collecting a fee on financing from a bank or, you know, a lender, or they, you know, have internal financing departments where, you know, if people aren't buying as many cars because the cost of capital is higher, you know, you're not making as much money in fees, you're not making as much money from internal financing. And what you're also facing is much higher cost of default because people are making less money their cost of capital is much higher. The risk of default, especially in the subprime lending space, is, is growing rapidly. Um, and people are tightening. You know, lenders and financing entities are really tightening their standards. They're not, you know, letting as much money go out into circulation because there's a much higher risk than there was before. When we were kind of a make-believe, you know, money is free, you know, this is going to last forever atmosphere the last three years, which were, you know, record profitability years for, you know, almost every single dealer in the United States. You know, a year or two years ago, when one approached the dealership and said, hey, you know, here's why sale leaseback would benefit you, was 
part of the pushback, like, yeah, I see it. That makes sense. But I can get really cheap debt right now. So if anything to sale, is there anything now? Should you say at least back even makes more sense because debt is so much more expensive now. And I mean, we already know it makes sense. The equity's trapped and it's locked in real estate and it's not getting as good of a return. But it sounds to me like it makes even more sense now than ever to tap that equity. It does. So, you know, going back on the first part of your question, it's a double-edged sword in either scenario, right? So in a in a very attractive, you know, capital market like we just saw, dealers are making, you know, insane profits. They're making insane profits both on, you know, front-end sales by the actual, you know, vehicle, selling new vehicles, which is very rare. And we're talking about, you know, sometimes $10,000 over sticker per vehicle. And, you know, cost of capital is extremely low. So, you know, you talking to dealers in in the previous market, you know, you say, "Look, you know, this makes a lot of sense for growth. This is, you know, the most efficient use of your real estate capital. And it's hard to argue against that because you're two to three Xing your appraised value of your real estate. So your your terminal value of your real estate is being maximized at, you know, the highest price it probably ever will sell for. And then you're controlling your real estate and then you're putting it to an operation for an acquisition. It's hard to argue that there's any other, you know, more efficient use for that capital. And, you know, talking to dealers then it was the pushback was really, look, you know, we've got a ton of cash. We've got more cash than we've ever had before. And, you know, adding more cash to that is, is going to, you know, what do we do with the money? Uh, so we had to get creative. We had to talk about, you know, alternative investment strategies with some of the capital, putting some of it into growth, uh, putting some of it into the current operations, you know, going out and making acquisitions and such an influx of capital, especially when you're doing bigger deals, you have to get creative. And you, you know, the last piece of the puzzle for something like this is, okay, we do this, we maximize the value. Where do we then put the capital, right? To cap everything off. You have to figure out how to allocate that capital after you exit via sale leaseback. And then now in this current market, you know, it's flip-flops. So you've got very high interest rates, just point blank. This is, you know, very attractive alternative financing. Go back to, you know, most efficient use of your real estate equity, hands down. So, you know, now we're in a market where margins are not as, they're, they're much thinner. You're not making as much money. You still have, you know, some leftover cash, but this is the time to scale. This is the time to grow. This is to go make, you know, opportunistic acquisitions. You know, when you see people sort of faltering in, you know, adjacent markets, um, you know, go take that market share, you know, go grow, go cement yourself as a player in perpetuity, you know, in your market or, you know, globally. And, and then you were saying earlier, I think it was like one of the other questions I had, uh, which was the maintenance service department, you know, divisions and leadership. So if I understand it correctly, that's the biggest revenue stream. It's not the auto sales. It's not the financing. It's typically the service. That's the one they want to go after the hardest. Correct. So, you know, traditionally taking out of the equation really the last three years, because they were complete you know, sort of anomaly years in, in the dealership, you know, profitability space, you know, traditionally, and, and probably still the case, service and parts make up about 50 to 60% of, you know, dealerships revenue, typically, sometimes more, sometimes less, but typically within that little chunk. So, you know, last year you were seeing oftentimes dealers, you know, in a traditional market do not make much money on a new car sale. You know, they sell the car, maybe make a little spread, but it's everything that happens after the fact. It's all the back-end profits, it's service, it's parts, it's financing, it's insurance, it's reinsurance. The car, you know, for lack of a better word, acts as a vehicle to then throw all this other stuff on. And then it just becomes, you know, net receivables factory, you know, the dealership does. It's like, you know, buying a printer, right? You buy a printer, you're buying the ink. You're not buying the printer, you're buying the ink, you're buying the repetitive, you know, ink purchases. And and that's sort of what a car is. That makes sense. A couple more questions then. I want to shift to this. The convention that you just went through uh, down in Dallas, used car, news car dealerships. I mean, is it really much difference these days? I mean, yeah, I know we see CarMax and Carvana, but but I went and looked for a new car recently. And, you know, 
you go to the dealership, yeah, they have, you know, new car lines there, but it seems like, you know, they've got just as many used these days. Is that really a distinct business? Much or once again, are they really, that's the vehicle for lack of a better word, as you said, to get in, you know, to the service and all the sticker shock or sticker things that they are able to add on? Right. So, you know, we saw an interesting market previously where, you know, COVID happened, we saw supply chains essentially just stop working. I mean, people, you know, couldn't work, things couldn't be built. And the car is, you know, a compilation of so many different parts. You've got everything from the wheels up and you've got chips. You've got so many computer parts nowadays in new cars that when manufacturing ceased, that created such a huge gap from, you know, manufacturer to consumer that, you know, there was no new car inventory. Therefore, people were paying absurd prices for anything they could get their hands on. But what that also did was it raised the values of used cars. When there's no new car inventory, you know, people need to go buy cars. You know, people still want to go spend money. Money is very cheap, uh, or it was. And therefore, you know, a lot of people are going out and buying used cars. I mean, if you look at the bubble, you know, or chart of, you know, used car prices, they tanked at, you know, the front end of 2020. Uh, and then they spiked to, you know, historical highs you know, in the last three years are now starting to come back down, but they're still, you know, much higher than at any point that they've been in pre-COVID. So, you know, it's really just a supply and demand matrix. And, um, you know, it's what's available, you know, take the money supply that is going to be allocated by consumers to cars, whether it's new or used, and then just take what's available. You know, what can people buy if it's, you know, new or used? But, you know, there's profitability in both sectors. I think used cars, they're a different model. You know, they break down a lot more. So you're going to be, you know, because they've got more wear and tear, so you're going to be servicing and, you know, putting parts, you know, revenue more attached to these used car sales. And then financing is typically you're making more on a used car than a new car because there's just a, there's a riskiness to it. It's not a brand new car. So, you know, both models, I think, are profitable. I think there are some, you know, used car players that make a lot of money and have gotten really good at the model and controlling inventory and cycling inventory. I think, you know, cycling inventory in the used car space, getting it off the lot, whether it's, you know, it's been sitting there for a while and you need to cycle it at, uh, at value or, you know, making profit is an art. There's some groups that are really good at it. And, you know, with threat of, the manufacturer coming in and saying, hey, you know, we're going to take out the new car model. We're going to go direct to consumer or agency. You know, there's a lot of thought that, hey, you know, maybe use cars, you know, being independent dealers and just, you know, playing around with the inventory, basically in the secondary market. Maybe it's, it's, it's something that we haven't really thought about. Maybe that's going to be the frontier of, you know, really control from the dealerships in the space. You know, I don't know. But, you know, if pressures continue to mount on the new car model from the manufacturers and you know, these independent dealers can do whatever they want. You know, they're selling secondary inventory, you know, direct to consumers and, you know, they can't really be told what to do. There's nobody really above them feeding them inventory. They're buying what's already out there. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, I think. And I've thought a lot about this, you know, on 20 years from now, what does the dealership market look like? You know, new and used. Um, used probably isn't going to change that much. You know, we've got models like Carvana that came and went or are heading out the door. But, you know, they prove something that, you know, the, the consumer wants fast digital service that, that happens quickly. You know, you don't want to go sit in a car dealership for three hours and wait for a car. Nobody wants to do that nowadays. You want instant gratification. So I think, you know, in terms of you know, sort of a niche and frontier, the used car space is just as interesting as, as the new car space. No, I know it's evolving. Good friend of mine just went and bought a Tesla a couple of weeks ago and they slashed the price on their Model Y. He bought it on his phone, went to the dealership, pulled up his phone. And from what he told me, it was like, they were like, there's your car. All right, you're off. So, right, yeah, you, you can buy Tesla making the process easier. I mean, look, I know personally myself, last three, four cars I bought, I used a car broker. I don't want to deal with the dealership half the time. I don't want to go there. So I have that person do the negotiation. So I think from the dealership's perspective, they're probably learning this, getting more technology savvy, greeting people with the apps and some of those things. 
making the car buying process easier. I mean, isn't that the one thing that's beneficial about Tesla and a lot of people's, you know, there's no negotiation, right? There's a surprise when you're off and running. I mean, for a lot of people, that's refreshing, right? Because they don't want to be there for hours trying to figure out that stuff, right? Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, when we know what we're getting, we'll often pay a premium for it. I mean, look at everything that we do. We pay, you know, premium for food. You know, we have DoorDash, we have Uber Eats, we've got all this. We'll pay, you know, an absurd amount of money, often not even realizing what we're doing for that instant feeling that, you know, I didn't have to spend any time or energy doing this. It was the quickest route, right? It was a direct line route to... Yeah, I'm getting more groceries delivered almost every week. I've got little kids at home, busy wife too. Spend an extra 30, 40 bucks, if not more, a week just on delivery. So yeah, the money's going to be going be all business. Yeah, it'll be... The money is where, you know, the consumer can be serviced in the most efficient, both time and energy way. And they will pay more for it. It's, it's been proven and, you know, across, you know, different verticals, the consumer will pay more money for, you know, consistent, easy, not time consuming, not energy consuming service. And that is, you know, I think what, you know, these dealers are focused on is, you know, how do we do that? How do we do that to the best of our ability? Because that is how we stay most relevant. So let's wrap up. Tell me, you know, before we go, tell me about this, you know, big conference that you went down to in Dallas a week or two ago. You know, why you went, what was so exciting about this one and why you're going to continue going to these? Absolutely. So, you know, I think these conferences are amazing, especially in the auto industry. The auto industry is so unique. It's got so much energy. It's a big world, but it's very small. Everybody's kind of, you know, they, they know each other and they're very much there for each other in terms of, you know, information and just how everyone interacts in the space. And I think, you know, especially getting, you know, past this time of COVID where nobody could do anything, uh, there weren't any conferences, you know, you're doing business, high level business, you know, with people, you know, over your computer. And it was sort of weird. It, it normalized, but, you know, it's so important, I think, to go shake hands, you know, uh, eat dinners and, you know, see these people and really communicate to them face to face, both from a trust perspective, but also it's just human nature. It's what we're meant to do. Um, and I think, you know, some of the best relationships are built by, you know, going and, um, you know, seeing clients and people in your respective space in person, you know, showing up, you know, being there and, you know, talking about specifically NADA, National Auto Dealers Association Conference, it's, you know, probably the biggest, you know, automotive event of the year, fantastic event. You know, the energy and the sentiment, you know, from everybody there, despite, you know, the conversation and uh, these threats to the industry and um, the industry changing was sky high. Like what? So what are the types of people that you're meeting? So conferences in Dallas, you know, Dallas Convention Center, you go in and it's thousands of everybody in the space from, you know, thought leaders to venture capital groups to M&A groups on the dealership operational side that, you know, we do a lot of business with to, you know, auto auctions, to software companies, to there were, I think, two or three miniature planes in this conference center. I mean, it was it was insane, you know, to, you know, hydraulic companies, really everything, you know, that could be service to a dealer, whether it be software or hardware or, you know, consulting services or architects. I mean, there was every single facet of the dealership business that you could possibly think of there. And that was so important for me to meet because I think a lot of the connections that, you know, I've realized are not always, you know, directly to clients. They're sort of talking to the more peripheral businesses, developing relationships, and then, you know, happening to develop relationships and finding opportunities through them, you know, through their clientele. And then, you know, also benefiting their business by, you know, sort of outletting their business to my clients as well. And it creates a synergy. And I think that is, you know, as a whole, what really represents that conference and, and the industry as a whole is there's just such a synergy at every part of the business of everybody trying to really benefit each other 
And, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie. So it was great. A lot of times people are going to that and the software company or the manufacturer of, you know, service parts of the dealership, they're talking inventory or talking how to, you know, new service contracts between them. And a lot of them aren't actually thinking about the real estate and right how the real estate can help benefit them. So that's kind of where there's a tremendous opportunity for someone like yourself to, you know, now circling back to talking about sale lease specs and all that, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, directly to those businesses and their, you know, applicable real estate, but also just getting them thinking about that so that they can have conversations with people that it is applicable to, whether it's dealers or other people in the business, auctions, you know, because this space is so large and we've, we've really just touched the tip of it you know, in the dealership, you know, new and used dealership space. I mean, you know, there's, there's the RV space is massive, the, the motorsports space. I met with a lot of really, really uh, impressive motorsports dealers at the conference um, and really look forward to diving in more to their real estate to, you know, Marine, you know, there's tons of niches in the space that are underserved, but this, you know, sell leaseback process, it works magic for these guys in terms of growth and just optimizing their capital. Um, and I think what you're going to see is that we as a team, Ascension is going to be just an absolute driving force, um, really creating this market within this niche space and being the player that really dominates and, and dictates, you know, what goes on and delivering, you know, the absolute best service for our clients, whether it's you know, on the CLEs back side or just real estate advisory in general. But, you know, I hope to build this where, you know, if you need anything in the dealership space, sale leaseback or not, you know, you, you come to Ascension and that's the goal. Very cool. Well, let's end with this. You know what they say, you know, a successful guy by the watch he wears and the shoes he has. But Ned, you're an auto guy. So you know how successful you are by the car that you drive, right? Uh, Look, you only got out of college a couple of years ago. Now you're having a big year. (laughs) So I'm not going to put pressure on you to tell us what uh, car you're driving now. But after your next million dollar year, what is your next big car you're buying? What's your dream car like? I bought an Audi A4, which is a nice car. It's got a turbo in it. It's sweet after a good year. And I love that car. It's my favorite car I've ever had. But, you know, if I were to buy another car, I really do like the electric space. I mean, instant torque. Uh, I like to go fast. I think a Porsche, you know, like a 911 Turbo S, internal combustion, 2.6, zero to 60. I'm going to need to have a better than a million dollar year, but um, I don't see a better time to deliver. So maybe that's the end goal at the end of the year. Awesome. All right. Thanks again for sitting in here on the podcast. Look forward to seeing you soon. And welcome to Scottsdale for the waste management. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, the sun's out. Get some waste management in tomorrow and uh, meet with Realty Income. Uh, excited. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Mission Critical, a sale leaseback podcast by Ascension. To find out more about Ascension and how we can help you achieve a higher standard of real estate advisory, visit www.hireascension.com. And then make sure to search for Mission Critical in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. We talk to Sally Spice.